Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a brand new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. This episode takes us behind the scenes of Iranian director Asghar Farhadi's new film, The Salesman, which was screened as part of the DGA's Global Cinema Series. The Global Cinema Series aims to spotlight landmark foreign films for DGA members and guests by presenting screenings of contemporary, classic, and independent films, as well as conversations with their directors. Mr. Farhadi, who is known for films that explore intimate struggles with societal issues such as class and gender differences, won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film in 2012 for his film A Separation. His latest film, The Salesman, follows a young couple as they rent a new apartment from a fellow performer in a local production of Death of a Salesman, unaware that the previous tenant had used it to entertain illicit clients. The Salesman won the Best Actor and Best Screenplay Awards at the 2016 Cannes Film Festival and was nominated for the Palme d'Or. Listen on for highlights from their conversation, including how Mr. Farhadi embraced the ambiguity of his character's situations, his wrestling with the different moral and ethical issues in his films, and the links between The Salesman and its namesake, Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman. Mr. Farhadi spoke to Ms. Hochberg with a translator, and you will hear all of their voices during the Q&A. Um, as if your films are not complex enough, in The Salesman, you now add a layer of one of the great American plays of the 20th century, Death of a Salesman, by Arthur Miller. I'm fascinated by the use of Miller's play as the frame for this story. Can you talk about that choice, how it came about, and why? Uh, I know that at this moment you may not wish to listen to us talking and you may prefer to be in silence pondering what you've seen but there's no other way I'm afraid من موقعی که داستان رو نوشتم میدونستم که بخش تئاتر توش وجود داره When I wrote this story, I knew that there was a theatrical element. Because my two main characters were uh, theater actors. And I began reading various plays to determine what play might serve me. With theater actors in real life? No, in, 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 in the film. In the film, okay. Yeah. و بعد نمایشنامه‌ای رو که چون قبلا من از تئاتر میام بک‌گراندم تئاتر نمایشنامه‌ای که اون موقع خونده بودم رو دوباره شروع کردم خوندن and so i began to because my background's in the theater i come from the theater i began to reread plays i knew 
از سارتر خوندم از یونسکو خوندم از پینتر خوندم تا رسیدم به آرتور میلر وقتی برای چندمین بار مرگ فروشنده رو خوندم فکر کردم که میلر گویی انگار که میدونسته یه روزی یه کسی قراره یه فیلم به اسم فروشنده بسازه و یه جوری نوشته که من بتونم ازش استفاده کنم When I read Death of a Salesman for the nth time, I had the impression that Miller might have known that someone would one day be wanting to make a film called The Salesman and had written it in such a way that it would serve me. There are many links in that play with my film. In the death of a salesman, you have the story of Billy Loman as a salesman. و ما توی این فیلم هم یه فروشنده ای داریم که آخر فیلم یاد اون مرده در اون پدر اون خانواده که اومده اونم یه فروشنده است. And in this film too, we have a salesman, the man at the end, the father of that family. He too is a salesman. توی مرگ فروشنده یه زن فاحشه است توی هتل که ویلی لومان باش ملاقات میکنه. And in Death of a Salesman, there's a prostitute who's in a hotel that Willie Loman meets up with. And in our story too, there's a prostitute, but one that we never see. There are many links, both thematically and in terms of characters. And some of the links really took me aback. مثلا من راجب جوراب توی داستانم نوشته بودم و وقتی مرگ فروشنده رو خوندم دیدم اونجا هم جوراب یه موتیفه For instance in my story I'd already written about uh, stockings and then when I reread Death of a Salesman I realized it was a motif there too و سعی کردم این لینک ها رو پر رنگ کنم And I just tried to uh, draw and make those links bolder ولی چیزی که مهمتر از همه بود و برام جذاب بود جزو معدود نمایشنامه هایی بود که نویسنده آرتور میلر شخصیت ها رو به سفید و سیاه تقسیم نکرده بود. The thing that really attracted me however was that it was one of the um, rare plays where Arthur Miller had not um, turned the characters into black and white. اون چیزی که من توی فیلمم سعی کردم رعایت کنم. This is something that I've always tried to observe in my films. We know that. Yes. Um, okay. Glasses time. Sorry. So once you had this construct to bounce off, how did you go about creating a completely different story, yet keeping some of the psychological and moral imperatives that exist in the original play? I had written my story first and then the play got added in. و بعد سعی کردم که آدم ها توی موقعیت های قرار بگیرن که سر دوراهی های قرار بگیرن که ما هم به عنوان تماشاگر ندونیم که کدوم راه را اگر انتخاب کنن بهتره And then what I was striving for was that the characters should find themselves at crossroads where 
as viewers, we too would not know which choice would be the best one for them. چیزی که برام مهم بود این بود که تماشاگر بعد از وقتی این فیلم رو ببینه فکر همش با خودش بگه که اگر من جای این آدما بودم چیکار می‌کردم. What mattered to me was that the spectators the audience should constantly be thinking what would I do if I were them. توی مرگ فروشندم شما مدام دارید فکر می‌کنید که من باید طرف ویلی لومان باشم یا طرف پسرش. In death of a salesman too you're constantly thinking should I be on Willy Loman's side or on the son's side? و این تصمیم تصمیم خیلی سختیه. ما میفهمیم چرا پسر ویلیومان با پدرش یه چه نفرت قدیمی رو داره. و از اون طرف هم دلمون برای ویلیومان میسوزه و میفهمیم که اون چرا در واقع دوست داره که بچه‌هاش باش رابطه خوبی داشته باشن و یه آینده براشون بسازه. And yet, on the other hand, we feel pity or compassion for Willie Loman and understand that he wants his children to love him and that he wants to build a better future for them. Right. Um, <coughs> okay, wonderful. Um, Two-part question. Was there a particular meaning in the fact that your film begins with the collapse of something? which is an incredible two-minute shot, of course. Why did you start your film like that? And can you talk a bit about how you got that shot, of course, the glass cracks on cue, which is interesting for us here at the Director's Guild. Uh, it is, at any rate, um, at least in appearance a part of the story of the film ولی اگر بخوایم دقت بیشتری بکنیم به نظر میاد یه پیشگویی راجع به آنچه که به سر شخصیت ها خواهد اومد در طول فیلم but if we were to look more closely it's perhaps a foretelling of what happens to the characters uh, during the course of the film توی این فیلم خونه نقش خیلی کاراکتر خونه شخصیت مهم می داره in this film, the character of the house, the home, is uh, the, plays the role of a character, an important character. The home is the private retreat of people, and it's the place where they need to feel serenity and peace. وقتی که این اتفاق میفته در طول فیلم هر موقع این آدمو برمیگردن تو این خونه شما احساس کنین الان این خونه میریزه پایین. Once this event has happened, all through the film, each time the characters return to this place, you feel anxiety and the worry that the entire thing is going to collapse. The cracks on the glass, on the windows, on the walls of this house are not only on the windows and the walls. It's as though their inner safe space has been um, has undergone these fissures and is now endangered. And so it's a way of foretelling the cracks that come about in the relationships between people. Right. And just for us, 
how did you choreograph that and how many takes did you have? I mean, what was the, the, the nuts and bolts of the getting of that shot for us? In, uh, من یه وسط فیلم برداری به دلیل اینکه صدا بردار فیلم هم که خیلی دوست نزدیک هم بود فوت کرد ده روز فیلم رو تعطیل کردیم We were in the middle of our shoot when our soundman who was also a very close friend of mine passed away and we closed down production for 10 days و بعد از ده روز که برگشتیم تو برنامه این بود که این شات رو بگیریم که سختن شات فیلم بود And when we did go back to shoot after the 10 days, this was what we had to shoot, which was actually the hardest shot of the film. We were all feeling awful because this person that we'd been seeing for two months was no longer there. I think we practiced, we rehearsed it for two days. و یک روز گرفتیم یک شب گرفتیم اون رو ولی یه جوری نبودن اون صدا بردارم تو اون لحظات انگار همه رو متحد کرده بود که بهتر کار کنن but in a certain way the absence of our sound man in those moments had um, unified everyone so everybody was working better together So five takes, two takes. I don't remember it. فکر کنم که خیلی زیاد نگرفتیم. خیلی شاید همون چهار تا پنج تا گرفتیم. I don't remember. I think it wasn't that many takes. Maybe four or five. همیشه شاتایی که خیلی سختن اتفاقا راحتتر گرفته میشن. Usually, always the shots that are the hardest are easiest to do. چون همه جدیتر خودشون آماده کردن برای شات سخت راحتتر کار میکنن. Everyone's prepared themselves for a difficult thing and so everybody works better together. Climbing up those steps again. Everyone wants to get it right very early on so that they don't get out of breath going up the steps all that time. Okay. و خیلی توی این شات علاوه بر اینکه خونه فرونیزه ما شخص تفاوت شخصیت رانا و اماد این زن شوهر رو میتونیم بفهمیم از توی این شات. Um, also in this shot putting aside the fact that the house is collapsing it, it allows us to see the difference in the personalities of Rana and Emad really well. اماد کسیه که میره به اون پسر همسایه که معلول کمک میکنه. Emad goes and helps the neighbor's uh, son that's handicapped. And Rana is the one that's insisting that they better hurry up and get out of this situation. And this connects to the end of the film. It's as though at the end of the film they've switched positions from where they were in the first sequence. در سکانس آخر رانا کسیه که دوست داره به اون مرد کمک کنه. In the last sequence it's Rana who's the one who wishes to help the man. و و اماد کسیه که نمیخواد و اماد is the one that doesn't want to. و داستان انگار تغییر این دو تا آدم به دو تا آدم دیگه. And it's as though the story is the transformation of these two people into two other people. و لینک های کوچیک دیگه ای مثل اون معلولی که میگه عینکم و بعد در انتهای فیلم اون مردی رو که رو دوش میگیرن 
و میبرن اونم قبلش عینکشو دنبالش میگردن یه مشابه سازی اینجوری هست other links like um, the handicapped guy at the beginnings glasses and then at the very end of the film the guy they're carrying on their back and his glasses so there are these um, parallels between the two parts of the film just wonderful okay um <coughs> We know that there's much shame on the part of women who have been raped. American women are trying to change that. Your film is somewhat ambiguous about whether she really was raped. Can you talk about that choice? Was it based on political <coughs> or censorship considerations or Was it because it's more interesting if we really don't know? من فکر می‌کنم که وقتی نمی‌دونیم ما بیشتر می‌دونیم. وقتی نمی‌بینیم ما بیشتر می‌بینیم. I believe that when we don't know, we know more. That when we don't see, we see more. تو می‌تونی تخیل کنی. Because we imagine. بدون هیچ محدودیتی اون صحنه‌ای که توی فیلم نیست رو تو ذهنمون می‌سازیم. Without any limitations, the scene that is missing in the film we reconstruct in our own minds. این یه چیز مشترکی در همه جای دنیا شرم نسبت به در واقع خدشه‌دار شدن حریم خصوصی. This is something that's universal, the shame about the invasion of one's private boundaries. ما یه چیز اضافه تر بر این هم توی فرهنگمون داریم که اینجا هم هست ولی اونجا پررنگ تره. On top of that there's something in our culture that's more pronounced. It also exists here but it is more pronounced there. چیزی به اسم آبرو یعنی قضاوت دیگران نسبت به ما. Something that's called uh, honor the judgment of others. توی فرهنگ ما این خیلی نقش مهمی تو زندگیمون بازی میکنه. In our culture it plays a very significant role in our lives. یکی از دلایلی که این در واقع علاوه بر شرم چیزی که بروز نمیدن اتفاق اگر برای زنی بیفته بحث آبرو خط شدار شدن در واقع تصویری که از اون زن وجود داره. And one of the reasons apart from the shame that one can't uh, express or show what's happened is this matter of honor, of not being able to let it be seen that your honor has been damaged. ولی حریم خصوصی در دنیای امروز خیلی اهمیت بیشتری از قبل پیدا کرده. But one's inner privacy has a, a greater significance today than any other time. حتی اون بچه‌ای که میخواد بره دستشوی اجازه نمیده که شلوارش رو اون زن که غریبه است در واقع بر بیاره. Even a child going to the bathroom doesn't want the woman that doesn't know him take off his underwear. از یه بچه کوچیک این حریم خصوصی در واقع وجود داره براش تا اون نوجوانی که موبایلش حریم خصوصیشه تا اون پیرمردی که الان هم اینکه یه خطایی کرده ولی خانوادهش در واقع دوست نداره بدونن و حریم خصوصیش. These boundaries exist at every level the child and its clothing the young man and his mobile 
and even the old man and his family who he does not want he doesn't want them to know um, about his transgression هیچ دوره از تاریخ انسان به اندازه امروز حریم خصوصیش مورد هجوم نیست I don't think that private boundaries has been under assault in the same way as they are today at any other time in history. شما شب توی خونتون خوابیدین ولی توی پروفایلتون توی اینترنت هزاران نفر میتونن وارد حریم خصوصی شما بشن. You might be asleep in bed in your home at night but thousands of people may um, enter and uh, mess with your profile on the internet. There, there is no privacy. Uh, it's no. worse in America, I think. Everywhere, I think it's the it's same. And I think it's a generational thing, too. It seems no. young people do not want the same kind of privacy that, no. that some of us demand. I think privacy I think it matters to them to have it too. ولی اینقدر در واقع ورود به حریم خصوصی دیگران براشون جذابه که به روی خودشون نمیارن. But entering other people's private space is so attractive that they have to not show their own need. Exactly. Good. Thank you. Um, one of the key themes in death of a salesman is the idea of pride and humiliation. And there, and there is a circle of humiliation in your film. First Rana, and then her husband takes on her humiliation and becomes his, and then finally the old man. Can you speak a bit about that? What were you trying to show us here that it, it kind of moved from one to the other? Uh, اگر بپرسم که چرا ویلیلومان در انتهای نمایشنامه خودکشی میکنه و اگر بگم که یه دلیل فقط براش بیارین چه دلیلی میتونید پیدا کنید؟ If I ask why does Willie Loman commit suicide at the end of the play and if I were to ask you to give only one reason what would that reason be؟ من به نظرم دلیل اصلیش تحقیر شدنه. I think the main reason is humiliation. اون به دعوت بچه‌هاش میره توی رستوران شب که شام با هم بخورن و بچه‌هاش در واقع اونو ترک میکنن اون تنها میمونه و اون لحظه ای که من فکر کنم تصمیم میگیره که خودش رو از بین ببره. He goes at the invitation of his children to eat at a restaurant and his children leave him and abandoned I think that is the moment when he decides to kill himself. تحقیر مثل اون لودریه که داره زیر بنای یه خونه رو میکنه و اون بنا میریزه پایین. Humiliation is like that bulldozer that's digging out the um, foundation of a building and that building is collapsing. هم رعنا تحقیر میشه به خاطر ورود یه مرد غریبه به حمام و اینکه همسایه ها این اتفاق رو اگزاجره میکنن و اون تحقیر بیشتری در بیشه. Rana is humiliated by the entrance of a stranger while she's in the bathroom, but also this is aggravated by the exaggerated response of the neighbors, so she's further humiliated. Right. At, the, at the beginning, 
in the most civilized way, Ahmad wants to his recourse would be to the law. چرا این کارو نمیکنه به خاطر اینکه اینقدر دیگران این داستانو تکرار میکنن و احساس تحقیر میکنه که برای جبران این تحقیر اون پیرمرد رو باشون رفتار رو میکنه Why is it he doesn't do this because everyone keeps repeating the stories in such a repeated way that he starts to feel humiliated and it's out of that humiliation that he decides to go for the old man Um, some may be a little put off by the fact that Ahmad takes over for his wife. Uh, she, she becomes secondary. The assault becomes one against him. And he insists on retribution. Can you talk about this in relation to what you're trying to say in this story? عملا درسته در واقع از یک جایی رعنا میشه شخصیت دوم در نیمه اول فیلم خیلی زن فعالی همه کار رو اون داره انجام میده حتی رنگ لباساش خیلی دینامیک داره و گرمه The colors of her wardrobe, her outfits are very warm. One of the first consequences of what happens of this man coming into the bathroom is that she is she chooses to isolate herself she pulls aside اون حتی از پلا که میاد پایین وقتی مرد همسایه تو پلا هست صبر میکنه اون بره بعد بیاد پایین even when she's coming downstairs and she sees the neighbor the man she decides to wait for him to go away and then to carry on توی تئاتر توسط همکاراش کنار گذاشته میشه she's put aside in the theater by her colleagues این من نیستم به عنوان نویسنده که اونو شخصیت دوم میکنم این اجتماع دوروبرشه که اون رو منزوی میکنه It isn't me as the writer that's putting her aside It's the society around her through their reactions that puts her aside یه جوری با اون برخورد میکنن که انگار او به کسی تجاوز کرده They uh, respond to her in such a way as though she had raped someone من خودم در واقع معتقد نیستم که تجاوزی رخ داده در اون حمام احساسم اینه که یه مردی اومده تو و وقتی دیده که این زن اون نیست رفته بیرون ولی در همین حدش هم تصویری که از بیرون همسایه‌ها میدن اینه که تجاوزی رخ داده I myself don't believe that there was a rape in that bathroom I think that a man came and once he got in there and realized it's the wrong woman left but based on the picture given by the neighbors one is led to believe that there was a rape این چیزاست که باعث این تصویره که تصویر اغراق آمیزه که باعث انزوا و آدم دوم شدن رعنا میشه it's this exaggeration creating a different picture that leads to Rana's 
isolation and kind of retreat. It's the salaciousness of the community that is interested in something that is that و حتی شوهر خودش یکی از دلایلی که خیلی دوست داره که خودش بره اون مرد رو پیدا کنه اینه که اعتماد نداره به اون چیزی که زنش میگه و میخواد ببینه که واقعا اونجا چه اتفاقی افتاده One of the reasons why he's insisting on him being the one to go and find that man is because he doesn't have confidence in the account his wife is giving him He wants to go and find find him and get it get a first person account. اون دلش میخواد که این داستان رو یک بار از زبان اون کسی که اومده تو حمام بشنوه. He wants to hear this story told by the guy that walked into that bathroom. و این برای رانا تحقیرآمیزه. And this is humiliating for Rana. And the husband is very precise in how he uh, uh, eliminates certain things that the the old man says you don't have your your phone number he doesn't where's your phone why couldn't he drive you that those little by little he's like a, a bloodhound getting to the truth of what happened and the truth is how how are you now going to deal with an old man who's having a heart attack it's سوال اینه در واقع That is the question in reality. The question is, what should this man do with this old man? There's a lot. Um, this is talked about a lot in Iran as well. Those are more radical. This part of the film does not sit well with them. میگن که چرا در واکنش تندتری نشون نمیده. They ask why is he not showing a stronger reaction. من پاسخم اینه که صورت مسئله فیلم این نیست که چه جوری این آدم رو باید مجازات کرد. آیا شدیدتر یا خفیفتر؟ And my answer is that what this film sets out to do is not to answer whether this person should be punished more severely or less severely. صورت مسئله بزرگتر و سوال بزرگتر اینه که چرا این آدم‌ها توی این موقعیت قرار می‌گیرن؟ The biggest issue, the bigger issue, the greater question is why do these people find themselves in this situation? چرا اماد خودش اقدام می‌کنه برای اینکه قانون رو اجرا کنه؟ Why is Emad taking it upon himself to enact the law? Um, okay, this, this, I'm going to ask two more questions. I know you, I, I, I would like you to ask questions yourself, but this sort of gets to what you just said, and it gets beyond it almost, is that so much of your work challenges the idea of moral dualism. This is right and this is wrong. این مهمترین سوالیه که تو همه فیلم هام در واقع بهش پرداختم. This is the most important question that I have tried to address in all my films. این مهمترین سوالیه که در کل زندگیم داشتم. 
This is the most important question I've had all my life. من طبق چه مترو ترازویی باید بفهمم که یه کنش یا رفتاری درست اخلاقیه و یه کنش و رفتاری اخلاقی نیست. According to what scales, according to what instrument of weights and measures should I recognize a behavior as ethical and another as not ethical? آیا قانون مدنی که توسط یه اکثریتی تصویب شده اون مترو میزانه؟ Are those uh, scales and measures set by civil law that's been constitutionally passed? آیا قوانین دینی میتونه این کارو بکنه؟ Or are there religious laws that can accomplish this? آیا وجدان میتونه متر باشه؟ Is it one's conscience that can be the measuring device ما کدوم یکی از اینا رو باید تصمیم بگیریم برای مشخص کردن درستی و نادرستی which of these should we employ to identify what is right and what is wrong این بزرگترین سوال زندگی منه this is the greatest question of my life و احتمالاً همه فیلمایی که خواهم ساخت باز راجع به این خواهد بود and it's likely that all the films that i will make in the future will again deal with this question the last time you were here you said your films are about not good versus evil but good versus good so my last question is do you see this as a path to the future this th- way of thinking as a path to the future of how humans or even countries can reframe or rethink our ideas about how to get along with each other. Cubans have a very profound uh, saying. Profound what? Saying. Saying. Miganke. هیچ کس نمیدونه چه گذشته‌ای در انتظارش خواهد بود. They say no one knows the past that is awaiting them. No one knows the past that awaits them. یعنی اینکه اون چیزی که سرنوشت ما رو مشخص می‌کنه گذشته‌مونه. Meaning what determines our destiny is our past. اگر بخوایم در آینده و برسیم به یه موقعیت باثبات تکلیفمون رو با گذشتهمون باید روشن کنیم. If our wish is to reach a stable point in our future, we have to settle our accounts with our past. من یه فیلم راجع به این ساختم به نام گذشته. I have made a film about this called the past. جواب این سوال اینه که راهش اینه که آدم ها اون چیزی که پشت سرشون اتفاق افتاده یه بار باز کنن اون زخم رو و تمیزش کنن and the answer to the question is what people need to do is once look at that uh, scar and open that wound and clean it yes thank you you're welcome I have actually one other question, political question for you. That I see your films as very subversive, yet you are not condemned by the Iranian government. Why have you been allowed to make films while other directors in Iran have been 
not been able to make them or have been jailed. دونو فیلم سازی جدی وجود داره غیر از فیلم‌های کمرشال. There are two kinds of serious filmmaking. غیر از غیر از فیلم‌های کمرشال. There are two kinds of serious filmmaking putting aside purely commercial cinema. فیلم‌هایی که سیستم رو نقد می‌کنن. Films that criticize the system. و فیلم‌هایی که جامعه رو نقد می‌کنن. And films that films that critique the system and films that critique society. فیلم‌هایی که سیستم رو نقد می‌کنن بیشتر دچار سانسور میشن. Films that are critique of the system are more likely to be censored. من ولی تصمیم اونی که جامعه رو نقد کنم. My decision, however, is to critique society. چون به نظرم جامعه‌ای که نقد بشه و اشکالاتش بهش گفته بشه اجازه نمیده که سیستم غلطی بهش حاکم بشه. Because in my opinion, a society that um, is analyzed is critiques and whose faults are identified and told to it will not allow an improper system to govern it. و چون خود منم جزء اون جامعه ام اشکالات خودم رو میدونم چیه و راجع به اشکالات خودم هم تو فیلمم که عرف میزنم. And because I too am a member of that society, I know my own faults and so I can address those. به خاطر همین وقتی که راجع به جامعه صحبت میکنم یکم با سانسور در واقع فاصله دارم. For that reason, when I'm addressing questions that are about society, there is some distance between me and censorship. You're amazing, really. Thank you. Well, uh, we have been really lucky to to have you both. Thank you, thank, thank you. you so much. This is amazing, and I'm honored. And thank you. Just, you must thank come you. back. Thank you. thank you. And we wish you the best of luck with this film. Um, uh, when other people in America are able to see it, we, we hope you I hope so. do the best. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this DGA Q&A. You can watch more discussions like this on our website or our YouTube channel. Also on our website, you can explore our visual history program with long-form oral history interviews that delve deep into the careers of veteran DGA members. Check out the program at dga.org slash craft slash visual history. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to The Director's Cut on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or our SoundCloud page so you won't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.